Jessica. Kids, you can take off to your classrooms. Well, happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there and any of you fathers who may be watching this morning via the internet. It is Father's Day. You know, I'm not much for topical preaching. I don't usually do Christmas messages, Mother's Day messages, Father's Day messages, but Father's Days are really easy to preach because we have such a great example in Father God. Like, you may have had the worst father naturally in the world, but you can be like, yes, in spite of that, I've still got a good father that I can look up to. And that's what he calls you. He calls you his sons and daughters. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6, 18, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters says the Lord God Almighty. And it's interesting when we talk about the Holy Spirit, when Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit coming, he said, I will not leave you orphans. And so he's come to be that father that you may never had. Maybe you didn't have a good example. He is a great example to follow. And so if I were to be preaching on Father's Day today, it'd be the easiest one to do. Because, you know, we can look to uh, what Solomon wrote in the book of Proverbs. And he has all of this dialogue back and forth where he keeps saying, my son, listen to what I have to say. My son, listen to my wisdom. And what that is, is through the Holy Spirit, he's giving you a picture of Father God imparting wisdom to you. And in the way you should live your life, in the way you should follow. And I like what Proverbs chapter 4 verse 10 says. He says, my son, this is God speaking to you, if you will take the time and stop and listen to me and embrace what I say, you will live a long and happy life, full of understanding in every way. And so first he says, stop and actually listen. But the second part of it, he says, embrace what I say. You know, if we look ahead to the New Testament where uh, James says, be doers of the word and not just hearers only deceiving yourself when we hear the word of god and we don't respond embrace it and then walk it out the bible says we're deceiving ourselves because when you know the truth the truth sets you free but i like what doug jones used to say he said usually before it sets you free it offends you it makes you pretty mad. And sometimes when we've been living a certain way and we've believed certain lies about ourselves, about God, about how just the world works, it can be hard to make that course correction and be like, okay, I'm going to follow your way and embrace what you say, God. And so for we were praying before service uh, with all the leaders, and one of the things that were coming out was just, God, we thank you that your word is truth. Your word is truth. It's the only thing that can be relied upon. It changes our mindset. Paul said to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When we change our thoughts for his thoughts and his ways, we are transformed from the inside out. And so Solomon said, under the unction of the Holy Spirit, embrace, grab hold. And isn't that what faith is? If we think back to those four weeks we spent on the law of faith. Romans 10, 17 said, Faith is birthed in a heart that responds to God and His authoritative word. Faith comes alive in a heart that says, I'm not just going to hear, 
I'm going to go ahead and take that step of faith and respond to what you've said. Amen? So we can look over to Luke chapter 11. And in verse 11, this is Jesus speaking. And he says, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him, or give, if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? If he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, or the word that's used there means natural or carnal, meaning not, not God-breathed, you know, working from this world's resources, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And so for the last three weeks, we've been doing a refresher course on the Holy Spirit. And this was not planned in my, my outline for where I thought we were going this, this uh, year. I, we are not done our, our Laws of God series. We still got to get back to that. We still have that. We're, we're here almost to July now, and we still have not preached on our word for the year, which is continue. But when the Holy Spirit interrupts you, you go with him. You know, we can get so set in our plans that we miss what he actually wants to do because we're doing what we want to do. And so for the last three weeks, we've been doing a refresher course on the person of the Holy Spirit, the working of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. And here, Paul, Jesus says in Luke eleven thirteen that how will your father not give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so last week, we were talking about how salvation and the infilling and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit are two separate experiences as we look through the Word of God. When we look at Acts chapter 8, they, Paul went, or Philip went down to Samaria and preached and miracles, and it says they believed. But then they sent Peter and John down for them to receive the Holy Spirit. When Paul got to Ephesus, he found some disciples there, and he says, have you received the Holy Spirit since you have believed? And they said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And so he laid hands on them. They began to speak with other tongues and prophesy. And so we, we see that it's a separate one that he, you ask, he gives. If you want the Holy Spirit, he won't go where he's not welcome. But if you ask, he sure as well will show up. And he will fill you with his power. And Jesus said to his own disciples, wait in Jerusalem until you receive that power. It was important for him to make that distinction for them. So today, I want to look at the coming of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat on each one of them. And now we could ask the question of ourselves, and we, we don't really have an answer. Was this their eyes being opened up to see what was going on in the Spirit? Or was the place that they actually were in, did the wind just start blowing through that place? Was it actual, like a physical manifestation of their eyes? Or was it the eyes of their spirit that were open to see those tongues of fire coming? We don't know. 
You know, Paul says this of himself, of a vision he had. He said, 14 years ago, I knew a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I can't even tell. And so sometimes when you have spiritual experiences, you can't even tell whether it's your natural faculties that are perceiving this, or it's your, the eyes of your spirit being open to see what's going on in the realm of the spirit, which is just as real as the natural realm in which we walk in every day. And so sometimes you can have visions uh, that are just you seeing on the inside what God's doing, and other times we have what are called open visions, where it's like you're seeing everything natural, but you're also seeing spiritual things happening at the same time. And so whether or not the whole place that they were in was all of a sudden, the, the, maybe the, the curtain started flapping and the wind came in, we don't know, and it doesn't really matter whether it was their natural eyes or their spiritual eyes, this was the coming of the Holy Spirit. And here in verse 4, I want to spend a bunch of time teaching today on, says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. And as we've pointed out in the other weeks, it says they were all. So go ahead and say that word with me. All. Not some, not a few, it says they were all. When Peter and John came down to Samaria after, Peter, or after Philip had already preached Jesus and they believed, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 19, when Paul laid hands on them, it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And there was 12 of them in that room. It tells us how many were in, when, in, in Ephesus at that time. And so he says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit is for all who will believe. It's not just for some, oh, that's good for you. No, if God says it's good for all, it's good for all. So we got to take him at his word. And it says, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. And on that day of Pentecost, as they were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, it began to rise up out of the inside of them heavenly languages as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. And this is a, such a, a wonderful thing for the believer. And, you know, I was thinking about this this week. It's been a long time since I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I got filled with the Holy Spirit when I was like 9 or 10. And it was at a, at a, a preteen and teen meeting. And uh, we, I don't know what, why we were there or whatever, but the leader said, uh, you know, would you like to receive the Holy Spirit? And I didn't know anything about him. And, you know, sometimes that's the best thing. <laughs> sometimes what you know can keep you from what is true. And so I didn't know anything about him. She's like, sure. And she said, well, just uh, uh, pray to, let's pray right now and you ask God for the Holy Spirit and I'll lay hands on you. And so this leader, she did that and she led me in a prayer and then she laid hands and she said, now you just receive the Holy Spirit. And I, man, I feel, felt like fire just hit me. It's like, 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 who turned up the heat in here? When they talk about tongues of fire on that day, I understand what it is. It's like I was like radiating fire, and I believe it was in the middle of winter, so it's not because it was a hot day and we we're all in a sweaty room with no air conditioning. No, I went from being one way to all, so it was like, man, someone lit me on fire, and out of, the, out of my belly just began to rise up, and I began to pray out in other tongues. And I must have prayed for almost two hours. I remember they had to call mom and dad and say, well, we've got some things going on at the meeting. The kids are going to be a little bit later getting home tonight. 
but it was no one told me to do it. It just raised up out of the inside. Just like on the day of Pentecost when they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. Now, whenever we talk about this section, depending on how, what your religious background is within Christianity, there's different styles of teaching around this. And I want to take some time to contrast that and answer some questions that often come up religious, with religious mindsets. Or When I say religious, I mean people who are, who are more about this is what I've heard versus this is what the Word says, right? Religion isn't all good. Religion is a set of rules and regulations. The th real thing we've been called to is relationship with God. So that's when I say religion, that's what I meant. And so if you've had more of a structured background, there may be different thoughts and questions that come up when you hear that they spoke with other tongues. But for me, and this is the understanding that I have from the Word of God, it was a heavenly language that was imparted to them so that they could speak to God. Beyond their understanding. Because sometimes our minds stand in the way. But for a lot of people from a religious background, their teaching on this is that they spoke out in languages that were known on the earth but unknown to them. But what we see here in Acts chapter 2 is they all spilled out into the streets of Jerusalem, speaking in other tongues, and they were magnifying God. And first the people began to mock them and say, well, these guys are just all drunk. And Peter said, they're not drunk, they've just been filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we get the reference here in Acts chapter 2 that the people from all these different regions began to hear them in their own tongue. And they said, aren't these guys just uh, uh, from Na Nazarites? How are they speaking Cretan? How are they speaking Greek? You know, how are they speaking all these different languages? I'm hearing them magnify God. And I heard a good uh, under explanation of this from actually an atheist of all people. He was a, he's a, an expert in uh, Greek and Hebrew, uh, Aramaic, uh, Sumerian, all those, those, that, those Semitic languages from that time. And so he was asked the question about this, and he said, was it that they were speaking known languages versus unknown languages of, of heavenly? And he said, it's actually a du if you look at the language in the Greek here, it was a duality of miracles. Those who were filled with the Holy Spirit began to speak out in other tongues, and those who were hearing them were having it translated into their ears via the Holy Spirit. And, he, and they said, and he's like, and I want to reiterate, I don't, I don't believe any of it. I'm an atheist, but if you want to talk language, the Pentecostals are right, and the other ones are, not, are wrong, based on the language. Now, that's just the word of an atheist, and we don't have to take that. We get to take the word of God, and we'll go a little bit deeper in this. But he said they began to speak out in other tongues. Where else do we see that in the Bible? We need to take a look at this. Jesus in Mark chapter 16, which what we need to know about Mark 16, is it's the same conversation. It's part of the same conversation that is happening in Acts chapter 1. It's just separated. Mark kept it over here. Luke moved it over in when he wrote in Acts. He didn't include it at the end of the book of Luke. And so this is the same conversation where he said, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. And here's what Jesus said to them right before he ascended into heaven. He said, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they'll cast out demons and they will speak with new tongues. And I had someone say to me once, well, yes, they'll be new to them tongues. Well, that's not actually the kind of new that is used here in the Greek. It's the word kainos, which means of a new kind, 
unprecedented, novel, or unheard of. He wasn't saying it's new to you, it's new all around. They're going to speak with new kinds of tongues. And you want to use an example of where kainos is also found in the word? When Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, he said, don't put new wine into old wineskins. Why? Because they've already been stretched, and as the wine ferments, they'll burst. You've got to take a brand new kind of wineskin. You've got to get a new piece of, of leather. You've got to stitch up a new bottle and put new wine in it. And so he's not taking something else and using it. He's making a new one. And that's what Kanos has to do. He said they'll speak with new tongues, unheard of, unprecedented, or novel, a new kind of speaking. And why would he do this? Why? You think, God, could you not just use some of the other hundreds of languages that are on the earth? Well, Let's go back to somewhere that I've never looked at in this section when we preach on this in the past. And I want to go to Genesis chapter 11. In Genesis chapter 11, it says this in verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose tops is in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And here's what the Lord said. Indeed, the people are one. Not that there was one person. They were unified. They are of one purpose. They were of one mind. Where does the Holy Spirit move amongst believers? We talked about this in week number one, four weeks ago. Where does he move? It says when they were all in one accord. The word was homothomiden, when they were moving with passion and purpose in the same direction, together in unity. And so you can move in passion and purpose in the same direction in unity in good ways and in not so good ways. And here, because of the unification of the language, they could all communicate, and they were putting their purposes together in a negative direction. Why was this a problem? It had to do with their motivations and why. God didn't care that they built a tower. Come on. He'll give you inspirations of how to build even bigger towers if you want. It had to do, they were trying to ascend into heaven and make a name for themselves. Sounds awful familiar. What was Satan's manifesto? I will ascend into heaven and I will exalt my throne above the throne of God. They were unified in purpose and passion and direction in what the enemy was wanting them to be unified around rather than what was good for humanity. And so, he said, indeed the people are one. They have one language and this is what they begin to do to do now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them come let us go down there and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech so the lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth and they ceased building the city 
And so here we see in Genesis chapter 11, God confused the language so that they couldn't be unified in that way. At the coming of the Holy Spirit, he brings in heavenly language so that there can come a new kind of unity once again. Come on, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the infilling of the Holy Spirit, as you stir yourself up, praying out in other tongues, wisdom begins to flow, understanding and knowledge that there can be unity on opposite ends of the earth without uh, email, without walkie-talkies, without cell phones, without satellites. The Holy Spirit can speak one thing to your heart and the same thing to another heart on the other side of the world, and nobody had to be in contact because it was the same Holy Spirit. He brings unity back and so as they had one language before as the spirit-filled believers now have that heavenly language that you can speak directly to God in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 and 29 it says the Holy Spirit takes hold with us when we don't know how to pray because of our weaknesses or our shortcomings or what we don't know and it says he intercedes for us according to the perfect will of God there's going to be so many times where you just don't know how to pray you can pray out of your spirit and out of your belly, just as Jesus said on the great feast, he stood up and said, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. There will be utterance that will rise up and allow you to pray even when you don't know what to pray or how to pray, but you can pray aligned with God. And so he scattered the language so they couldn't be unified. And here, the Holy Spirit brings the language back together under heavenly languages directly to God so that people can be unified. Well, Pastor Jordan, tongues aren't for us, they're for the unbeliever. I'm so glad you asked that question. Is that really what Paul said? Let's look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 22. It says, therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. Well, there you go, Pastor Jordan. It's not for believers, it's for unbelievers. Is that actually what Paul said? One, we fall into the problem sometimes of looking through our natural understanding of language and our modern understanding of language. When we read the word sign, we think, here, I'm holding up a sign, this is for you. You know, you're going down the road, and you're heading to Kingston, you look for the sign that says Kingston, that's your sign. Is that the sign he's talking about here? No. Right out front here, we have a sign that says Word Church. That sign is an indication that if you want to worship with Word Church, this is where you have to do. But that's not the type of sign he's talking about. The word there is the word semion, which means an unusual occurrence transcending the common course of nature. If you want to put it into a category, it's signs and wonders. When you see the sign, it makes you wonder because it's like, that's not normal. That's an unusual occurrence. And so when we put it back in its context, its tongues are an unusual occurrence to those who don't believe, but not for those who believe. Tongues should not be an unusual occurrence for the believer. It should be normal. But for the unbeliever, 
it is a very unusual experience. Where else do we see this word semion used? Well, we've already been there today. In Mark 16, 17, it says, these signs will follow those who believe, or these unusual occurrences transcending the common course of nature will follow those who believe. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. It goes on to say they'll lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Those are unusual experiences. That doesn't happen in the normal course of nature, right? And so it's not saying this is a sign for you. It's saying it's an unusual occurrence to those who, who don't believe. So therefore, tongues are an unusual occurrence, not for those who believe, but for unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but those who believe. And so we read the second part, and we can say, there you go, prophecy is for the believer, and tongues are for the unbeliever. He didn't say prophecy was for the ones who believe. He said, prophesying is for those who believe. What is prophecy? It's inspired speech by the Holy Spirit that brings edification, exhortation, and comfort. That is for the believer. The act of prophesying is for the believer. It definitely is not for the unbeliever. The unbeliever is not going to speak out by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaking edification, exhortation, and comfort. No, we know that unbelievers often do the opposite. They come and cut you down and try to push you out and tear down. No, God builds up. And so, of course, prophesying, the act of prophecy, is for the believer, not the unbeliever. And just tongues are an unusual occurrence, not for those who believe, but for those who are, or they're not an unusual occurrence to those who believe. So let's go on. Paul says some more. He says, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there comes in someone who is uninformed or an unbeliever, let's just pause there for a second. He said uninformed and unbelievers which means that there can be Christians within the church that just don't know any better. Like in the book of Acts, chapter 19, where Paul said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said, we didn't even know there was one. And so just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you're a spirit-filled believer. Just as in the same way, you can come to church and not be a Christian. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to your garage makes you a car. Come on. It says, as many as, as receive him, to those he gave the power to become sons and daughters of God. It says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. And so just because you're a believer doesn't mean you've received the Holy Spirit. And so here he says, and there comes in those who are uninformed and unbelievers, will they not say that you're out of your mind? Why would they do that if it was for them? If tongues were a sign for unbelievers, why, if you were speaking in tongues, they'll say you're crazy? Because it's not for them, it's an unusual occurrence to them. And so he says, will they not say you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he's convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. 
And so here Paul says that when the believer prophesies, the secrets of the unbeliever's heart should be laid bare. And they can be edified and comforted and exhorted and be led to God. He's not saying one over the other. He's saying keep them in their proper place. Where here in the next verse he says, How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you, everyone say each of you. What's the other word we said all earlier? All. How is it that when each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation, let all things be done for edification. And so what Paul is saying is use what is most beneficial in that moment. If we all come together and you're sitting there and I just pray in tongues the whole time instead of teaching, none of you learn anything. Not, nothing is revealed. And so he's saying, do what is beneficial for the edification of the body of Christ in that meeting. There's different needs when you're in the church together versus when you're at home by yourself. There's different needs. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 two weeks ago that the, the gifts of the Spirit are given to each one for the profit of all. When we come together as believers, we should be lifting us all up. And if I don't speak with words that are easily understood, nobody learns. They're not beneficial. That doesn't mean that praying in other tongues is not important or beneficial to you. So Paul gives some order. He said, each one of you has a psalm, each one of you has a teaching, a tongue, a revelation, interpretation, whatever. Let it all be done for edification. And if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be by two, or at most by three, each in turn, and let one interpret. So how did it go from Paul saying, let's limit it then to two or three, to no one does it ever? <laughs> how does it go from each one has one, Paul says, let's limit it to two or three and let someone interpret to no one. Why? The enemy likes to stamp out anything that's good and beneficial to you. Something you also see that the things of God are often have counterfeits, if you want to say it that way, in the kingdom of the enemy. If you think about witchcraft and Satanism, what's, what's one of the things we often see? There's spells and incantations and strange sayings. Why? It's a mockery and a counterfeit of what God's real gift is. Why would he be trying to knock off something that is not good? He would be wanting to exalt it, would he not? So Paul says if each one has, speaks in a tongue, let's limit it to two or three, and each in turn let one interpret now, here in this church at Word Church, if you feel by the unction of the Holy Spirit that you have a tongue to give, you don't have to be concerned. If it's by the Spirit of God, I can interpret it. Pastor Wendy can interpret it. If it's not from the Spirit of God, you are out of luck. <laughs> Keep silent. But you don't have to be concerned, oh, I'm going to look like a fool, I'm going to give this. No. He says, if there's no interpreter let it, in the church, let him keep silent. But you don't have to worry about that. Let's keep things in order. Let's keep do things properly. But let there be an interpreter. 
You know, Pastor Robin and Wendy often flow in tongues and interpretation. It's part of their gift set that God has given to them. And I've never had seen in a situation where Pastor Robin has given a tongue where then Pastor Wendy was like, I, I don't, I got nothing. Now, there's been times where she'll tell you when she got up there to the mic, she's like, I felt like I had nothing. But as soon as she stepped out and grabbed hold by faith, it was right there. But it's interesting what he says. If there's no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Well, let's go back to where we started then. If speaking in other tongues is speaking in a known language that you don't know for the benefit of others, why does Paul say here that speaking in other tongues is speaking to himself and to God? And it's interesting, just some food for thought. I found, I've not heard one story ever from people who believe that it's known languages that you don't know, but someone else does. I've never seen that happen with someone who doesn't believe in the infilling of the Holy Spirit. But I've had that experience personally, and I know lots of other people, that out of my praying in other tongues, other known languages have risen out. I remember uh, when I was in school a number of years ago, I was in a, pr in a prayer group with some people, and we were just praying in the Spirit and stirring ourselves up, and I, my tongue uh, changed from what it normally would be, and my friend stopped me, and he had spent six years in Taiwan, and he says, do you realize you're speaking Taiwanese? I'm like, I don't speak Taiwanese. And he gave me a brief rundown of what I was saying, and it was just basically encouraging the church in Taiwan. I'm like, I don't know Taiwanese. How can I speak that? But it ra rose up out of a time of praying in the Spirit. There's been other times where I remember... Oh, this is probably just after Robin and I got married. She, uh, we were, she said, oh, you want to sit down and watch a, watch a movie? And I was like, I, I have a burden on my heart. I need to pray. And so as she sat down and watched the movie, I went into the other room, and I just began to pray in the Spirit. And as I was praying there, my eyes were opened up, and I had a vision as I was moving across the desert, and I began to see the Egyptian pyramids and, and things like that. And my tongue changed that I began to speak what sounded like Arabic. And I was like, you know, you've heard all in the last 20 years a lot of Arabic in the news because there's been a lot of things happen in the Middle East. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm saying, but that's what it sounds like. And the next morning when I woke up, I turned on the news, and the Arab Spring had happened in Egypt. And so by the Holy Spirit, without having any idea what was going on, he led me to pray for the church in Egypt, and he even switched me over into Arabic for a point. I don't know, maybe I was talking directly to someone. I don't know. You know, there was another situation that a minister was tell had shared with us one time where he was preaching, I believe he was in the South, and uh, someone stood up in the meeting. He's like, I've got, I've got a tongue that I'd like to give. And he was like, okay, go ahead and give. And he, and, he, and he gave it out. And then he was like, I don't have the interpretation. So he asked the guy, he's like, do you have the interpretation? He's like, no. He's like, does anybody else have the interpretation? And nobody was like, I do, I do, I do. And so he just kind of sat and he was about to say, okay, you know, obviously you missed it. Go ahead and sit down. Try again better next time. You know, whatever. And a, a man kind of put up his hand and he was like, and he said, uh, he's like, there's no interpretation needed. That man was speaking German to me. And he told me things that no one else could know about my life. Specifically some things that had happened in my past. And above that, he was speaking in the perfect dialect of my hometown in Germany. That guy had no idea. 
But that seems to rise out of our times of praying in other unknown tongues and diverse tongues that are given by the Holy Spirit. And so for people who believe that it's specifically only praying in known languages for the benefit of others, why don't we see it them doing it? When it comes to, when I got filled with the Holy Spirit at the age of 9 or 10, nobody told me I had to do it, it just came out. And I've had lots of people tell me since then, you need to stop doing that. Well, it's kind of like once a fish has swam in water, you can't tell him there's no such thing as water. Don't let people who don't know rob you of an experience that you've had from the Lord. And so he says, if there's no interpreter, let him speak to himself and to God. Meaning the people of that meeting were not the direction that that tongue was for. Why? Because in 1 Corinthians 14, 2, it says, for he who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to men, but speaks to God. And so the heavenly language that God gives you when you're filled with the Holy Spirit is a direct line to the throne of God. You're not talking to the person on your left. You're not talking to the person on your right. You're talking to God. And that's why Paul says when we come together, I'd rather speak five words in my known language than 10,000 in an unknown. Why? Because I'm not taking this time to talk to God. I'm here to talk to you. He says in verse 14 of that same chapter, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays within me, but my understanding is unfruitful. And here we get to the root of why most people don't like this is because they're not involved. They like to understand what it is they're doing. You know what? Sometimes the things of God take a little thing called faith. I don't understand it. I don't know how it's going to happen or work out, but I'm going to believe you anyways. And so he says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. And that's okay. Pray out the perfect will of God. And so Paul says in the next verse, what is the conclusion then? Never pray in the Holy Spirit? No, he says, I will pray in the Spirit and... I will pray with my understanding. I will also sing in the Spirit, and I will sing with my understanding. So Paul didn't say, don't do it ever. He said, put it in its context, and I'm going to do both. He says, pray in the Spirit and pray with your understanding. Sing in the Spirit and sing with your understanding. Why? Because verse 4 says that he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. The word edifies is the word that means builds up and strengthens himself. How many of you know you could use a little edifying and strengthening and building up? How many of you know that your pastor needs a little edifying, strengthening, and building up? I'm not just talking to you. I'm talking to me, too. Man, yesterday, we've been at a, at a, a baseball tournament all weekend, and yesterday morning, uh, the game wasn't going well for us, and it was because the umpires were pretty poor, and Bennett got struck out with a strike, supposedly, that it was at his ankles. Like, the strike zone is knees to shoulders. And so I was a little ticked. The coaches were a little kicked, and we were giving it to the, the umpire, and he's telling us, we're going to throw you out and everything like that. And all of a sudden, my phone buzzes, and I look at my wrist on my watch, and my wife says, tone it down, Jordan. These people know you're a pastor. <laughs> Not that that should matter, Right? And so I was like, okay, I took a few steps back, 
You know, the calls didn't get any better, but I just began to pray in the Spirit <laughs> under my breath. So people around me, they didn't need to know I was praying. It's not like, like going. I was just praying in the Spirit. And you know what happened? Is I, just, I just began to calm down. Peace began to flow, and the game got better, you know? It says, he who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. And there's times where you need to be built up, and there's times when the church as a whole needs to be built up. And so he says, when you're praying in the Spirit, you're building yourself up, but he who prophesies builds up the church. It depends on what is needed in that moment. And what does he go on to say in the next verse? He said, I wish you all spoke with tongues. Now, the thing we have to understand is that word he uses here for wish, he's like, oh, it's not, I, I just, you know, I know it's never going to happen, but I wish, it, I wish you all did. No, the word he uses here for wish, he says it's my fervent desire that you all spoke with tongues. It's not just like, oh, I know it's never going to happen. No, Paul wanted everyone to do this. He says, but even more, that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues, unless, unless, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. And so here, if you want a good equivalent of this, two nickels equal a dime. But they're not a dime. But they equal a dime. They're two different things that have the same equivalency. If you want them to have the same value within the church, it's tongues and interpretation of tongues should be the equivalent of prophecy. And a lot of times when I'm preaching, I'll just go ahead and prophesy out of my spirit and can't skip the middleman. And Pastor Wendy and Robin, under their gift set, they get up and they do tongues and interpretation, and it equals edification, but it requires both. It doesn't mean that these two are not needed, we should just only have this. No, the gifts of the Spirit move as the Holy Spirit wills. And He's a lot more willing than we are most of the time. But Paul said, I, I wish you all spoke with tongues. But, Pastor Jordan, he also said that we all don't. Did he actually say that? That's again, let's look at it. That comes from two chapters before this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, And God has appointed these in the church. He's appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles and gifts of healings, and then helps and administrations and varieties of tongues. Do you know what the other equivalent of this verse is? It's in the book of Ephesians where Paul says God has placed these into the church and he gives us the five-fold ministry gifts. The apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the teacher, and the evangelist. Something interesting to note of how he breaks it down here in chapter 12. He says the apostles, he says the prophets, he says the teachers, but then he says miracles and gifts of healings. Do you know what primary gifts follow the evangelist? Gifts of healings and miracles. We see that with Philip, who the Bible calls an evangelist. He went down to Samaria, and people believed him for what he said, and the miracles and the healings. Why? Because miracles and healings follow the evangelist. Do you know what gifts generally follow the pastor? Helps, administrations, and varieties of tongues. 
And so here, of course, not everyone has these giftings. We're not all called to the five-fold ministry gifts, but that's different than being filled with the Holy Spirit. So when he goes on, he says, are all apostles? Nope, not all stand in that office. Are all prophets? Nope. Are all teachers? Nope. Are all workers of miracles and have gifts of healings? No, you don't stand, all stand in the ministry of the evangelist. Do all speak with tongues and do all interpret under the gifts of the pastor? No, you don't all stand in that. And so he's not saying that you don't all pray with tongues when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Not all of you have been called to the ministry gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues like Pastor Robin and Wendy have. That's part of their giftings. But you've not all been called to do that within the church. So, the other thing he said, though, in those listings, he said, are all prophets. What do prophets do? They prophesy. They speak inspired utterance. Speaking edification, exhortation, and comfort. They all prophesy. What did Paul say that we could all do? If we're not all prophets, he did tell us in 1431, you can all prophesy one by one that you all may learn and will all be encouraged. So you may not be in the gift of a prophet, but you can all prophesy one by one. You may not have the gift of tongues and interpretation within the context of the, of the church, but you all can pray in the spirit and pray in other tongues. And why would we want this? Well, we've already said in 1 Corinthians 14, 2, that it strengthens us, it builds us up. But what are other biblical benefits of praying in the Holy Spirit? In Jude, it says, But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. It'll actually strengthen your faith. There's only two things that we see from the scriptures that it will strengthen your faith. It says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes or rises from the word of God. It comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The second way you strengthen your faith is by praying in the Holy Spirit. And that's why so much of the body of Christ is living in such an emaciated place of a lack of faith and a lack of ability to believe God is because they don't look at the word of God and they don't know how to pray in the spirit and it's left the church weak and defenseless and so many are sick so many are dying of diseases they never should have there's no power within the church these days why because we've neglected the things that actually build and strengthen our faith and so if you want to get built up in your faith and have a better ability to believe stir yourself up in the Holy Spirit pray in other tongues in Romans 8, 26, we already referenced it. It says, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses or in our shortcomings. You've got a lot, and so do I. A lot of weaknesses and shortcomings, but thank God the Holy Spirit helps in those. It says, when we don't know what we should pray for as we ought, the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Sometimes you'll be praying out of the Holy Spirit, and it'll just be like, ah, you know? The Holy Spirit's taken hold with you he's going to battle on your behalf he's talking between him and God because it goes on and says now he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God and when this Paul said when I pray in a tongue my spirit prays and that spirit prays in perfect will of God 
something that Paul referenced in 1 Corinthians 14, which was him referencing back to Isaiah, verse 28, he says, For with stammering lips and another tongue will I speak to this people, to whom he said, This is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. When we pray in other tongues, it will bring rest and refreshing to you. That's part of that building up, that strengthening you, that perfecting you, that edifying you. Come on, we're, a lot of us are living a little tired these days, right? If you need rest and you don't have time to rest, let the Holy Spirit charge you up with st- other tongues and stammering lips. And so Paul ends the 1 Corinthians chapter 14 with some good wisdom. He says, if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. Paul said, I've I've given you this wisdom to separate what's beneficial in the church and what's beneficial for you. And if you think you're spiritual, you're going to line up with what this says. But this is what he says next. If anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. And the ignorance he speaks of here in the Greek is willful ignorance. Well, that may be true, but I refuse to believe it. I've always done it this way, and I'll always do it that way. And his wisdom to you is, so go with it. (laughs) I like that. He's like, I'm not going to spend my time trying to convince you any longer. The word is the word, and you either believe it or you don't. And if not, pound rocks. Come on, Jesus had the same thing. He said when he sent them out two by two, he says, you know, if no one will receive you, go ahead and kick the dust off your shoes at them. If you don't want to believe, that's up to you, but this is what the word of God has said. And he ends this way. He says, therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. How come it's such a prohibition in most of the churches in the body of Christ these days? We don't do that. We don't do that here. I've been in churches where that happened. Where the pastor stood up and says, I heard some of you people are tongue-talking. Don't you dare do that here. No, you're not welcome here with that. We don't do that here. That's directly against what Paul said. Do not forbid to speak with tongues. Earnestly desire to prophesy. But there is no prohibition. Why? Because it's a gift that comes with the Holy Spirit. When they received him on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, they were all filled and they all began to speak with other tongues. And we see this time and time again through the book of Acts that the initial evidence that you've been filled with the Holy Spirit is you begin to speak with other tongues. But he will never make you will never make you you yield your heart and your mouth to him when you receive the holy spirit he will rise up to speak but he will not make you move your lips he will not make you move your tongue and unfortunately over the years there's been a lot of people where i'm I'm praying with them to receive the holy spirit and they're going nope Nope, don't, nope, don't got it, don't got it. I remember, John, I was thinking about this morning before the service, the night you got filled with the Holy Spirit. 
John was the first one that came up, and I, and I prayed with him, and he just began to speak with the tongues right away. He's like, yep, that's good, that's easy. And then I went to the next person, and they had had a lot of teaching about how it wasn't, it wasn't for us. And I said, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit? And she's like, yep. So I laid hands, she began, and she's like, I received the Holy Spirit. And it kept coming up, and I could see Claire's going, rrr, rrr. and I'm like, the Holy Spirit wants to pray through you. Nope, nope, he's going to have to make me. I said, he'll never make you. And that person went back to their seat without it. Because he will never make you do something even if it's beneficial to you. And so Paul said, don't forbid to speak with tongues because it strengthens you, it builds you up, it brings rest and refreshing to you. You can pray out the perfect will of God. You can bypass this noodle that gets in the way so many times and you can just, God, it's just me and you. For he who prays in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. Let's spend some more time praying to God rather than our own understanding. Why? Because your understanding is limited and his is unlimited. Amen. So Father, we thank you for the gift of the Spirit. We thank you for this detour that we've been able to have for these last four weeks as you remind us of your gifts and the power that you said that would come with the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the gift of being able to speak with other tongues, Lord, and that you would stir it up on the inside of us that we would be reminded to spend that time with you, to spend that time in prayer, Father, because it's a gift that you sent to us to bring us back into unity with you. For when we pray in another spirit, I thank you, or another tongue, now I thank you that we're not receiving the things of the world. We're receiving things from you. And you lead us in peace and unity. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, in a moment, our word care team is going to be right up here at the front. And they would love to pray with you, believe with you, agree with you, and anything going on in your life. Whether you need healing, whether you need to celebrate with someone, you know, whether you need a hug, whatever it is. And they'd also, they'd love to pray with you to receive the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Or Pastor Wendy would love to, or I would too. Pastor Wendy's great though. She'll, she'll get you there. Amen? Pastor Robin? So it says in, uh, as uh, Pastor Orange already said this, read this, uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, how is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, and we've done that, we've come together, uh, each of you has a psalm, and we've had psalms, we had music, which is psalms, and we've already had that, has a teaching, we've had a teaching, uh, has a tongue, has a revelation, and you got revelation in the teaching this morning, so we had a revelation, has an interpretation let all things be done for edification just so so because we've come together just like me. He was proclaiming to you what I have told him to say. And so out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. You have an opportunity to flow and move, to flow and move. You steer a ship with a rudder, and your tongue is that rudder of that ship that I long to use to stir your life, to lead your life, and put you in the course 
that I desire for you to live in. And so yield and receive. And there are times that I have knocked and there's times that I have nudged, but I will not go where I am not welcome. For as my word says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone open up, so I will come in and I will dine with them. And so I am calling you to my table and has been knocking on your heart. And I say, receive the gift that I have left for you. For it will build you up, it will strengthen you, and it will lead you on into things in which you have heard about, but you've not been able to know how to bridge that gap. My spirit on the inside of you will take you beyond what you've heard and what you've seen, and even further than that, for you have not even plunged the depths of what I have for you yet. So that was tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. He was prophesying. That's what you got there. Amen? Amen. Glory be to God. And it has said in Mark, these signs will follow them that believe. And then we've done that. We believe and it happens. Amen? God is good. He wants to encourage us. He wants to, you know, build us up. He wants all those good things in our lives. And just as some of the ways that we get it. Amen? Amen. Glory be to God. We done church today. <laughs> hey, glory be to God. And it's offering time. Yay. Hallelujah. So you can give online. You can uh, use an envelope in the pew. And uh, there's a basket at the back. And so there's a confession I like to say. Ah, so let's say this together. Let's put our words to what we believe and what we're doing. As I tithe and give offerings, I'm believing the Lord for souls and more souls jobs and better jobs, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales, commissions, favorable settlements, estates and inheritance, interest and income, rebates and returns, discounts and dividends, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, bills decrease, bills paid off, blessings and increases. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all my financial needs that I may have more than enough to give to the kingdom of God, promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you believe that, say amen. 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 Glory be to God. If you want the Holy Ghost, you want the, with the evidence of the speaking tongues, please come up. They'll be more, willing to, more than willing to pay, pray with you. Amen. God says that he loves every one of you and that he'll be with you and help you to make wise choices this week. And he'll lead you and guide you and protect you and provide for you. Just know how much he loves you. Amen. Thank you, Nancy. All right. You are blessed. Amen. We have donuts at the back. These are special donuts from places.